1: Listening to the Wicked Library. (laughs) Warning. If you haven't figured out that the Wicked Library has strong themes of an adult, sometimes violent, and decidedly scary nature, then by all means, keep listening. Go on. It's just that you're not going to complain about it. Oh, you can try, but you'll be scoffed at and ridiculed mercilessly by the host, the narrators, the producers, and you could bet your dangling participle, me. Go ahead, try it. You're not gonna like it one little bit, but our millions of listeners will eat it up. <laughs> and that's not hyperbole, kiddies. So there's your warning. Enjoy the show, kiddies. <laughs>
2: Welcome to episode number 813 of The Wicked Library. As always, before we get started today, a big thank you to our new and ongoing supporters. If you enjoy this show and you want to help us keep making it, you should support us on Patreon or at thewickedlibrary.com. Not only do all our supporters get completely ad free shows, they also get the highest quality version of the show, which means a higher bitrate MP3 to hear the wickedness even more clearly. And you also get access to our archives of the first five seasons, official bookmarks, and depending upon your level of support, you get to hear our bonus stories before the free listeners. Plus, at the $10 a month and above level, you'll get to hear a new show available only to our $10 a month and above supporters, the Private Collector. You can sign up today at patreon.com forward slash wicked library, or at the wickedlibrary.com forward slash subscribe to become a friend of the wicked library, and of course, a friend of the librarian. We're working very hard this season to make the show sustainable for Season 9 and beyond, and we need your help to do that. Speaking of bonuses, this weekend, those that do support the show at the $5 a month and above level will be getting a brand new bonus story, and at the $10 a month and above level, you can expect a new episode of The Private Collector, episode number 5, next week. A big thank you to those who took the time to rate us five stars and write a short review for us on iTunes. Your ratings do really help others find the show. And of course, we do love hearing how and why you listen to the Wicked Tales we share. Thank you so much to all of you for listening and supporting the show and our contributors. And please, if you enjoy the stories you hear, find the work of the authors and buy their work. It helps keep them making more. You can find links to the work of all of our contributors, authors, voice actors, artists, and composers at thewickedlibrary.com. Now, without further ado, let's get into today's story. By returning author Jessica McHugh, told by Mary Murphy, Nicole Goodnight, Nelson W. Piles, Addison Peacock, yours truly, and even a surprise appearance, blink and you'll miss it, by the author herself, Jessica McHugh. This episode also features a custom score by our resident composer, Nico Vittese, of We Talk of Dreams.
1: kiddies you know who I am by now sit down and relax while you can your librarian has taken such good care of you for seven seasons I see no need to lighten up for season eight hold on to your breath kiddies it might just be your last once again it's story time ...at the Wicked Library.
2: (laughs) Another Pleasant Valley Sunday by Jessica McHugh The car smells like failure, which smells like french fries. The steering wheel's violent vibration punctuates the stench, reminding Jimmy that the alignment still needs to be fixed. He meant to do it weeks ago, but Cynthia's money demands mucked up that plan. And now that he's walked out of his line-cook job at Jack in the Box, there's no way their illegitimate one-night-stand baby will get a Couture Clown crib from Posh Tots. Jimmy doesn't know where he's going, just that he has to get there fast. Away from work, away from Cynthia and the kid, to a place where no one knows the weak man he's become. Using his GPS, he picks a random bar called Miller's Pub as his destination, 52 miles away. He figures he should be ready to stop by then, to have a drink, eat a burger he didn't half-heartedly cook, and decide his next move. Ignoring his doubts, he focuses on the GPS screen. His shuddering car devours the miles over the next hour, and he sees the checkered flag appear on the screen. Nothing so small, so monochromatic, has ever been so beautiful. A flash of brown fur jolts Jimmy's periphery. The deer jumps and he swerves, narrowly missing its leg. He pulls over, sighing, but his relief is short-lived. Looking at the GPS, he realizes The checkered flag has vanished. His first reaction exceeds expletive. He smacks the steering wheel and collapses forward with a growl. The GPS chirps.
0: Continue 0.5 miles and turn right.
2: His fingers expand the directions, revealing the checkered flag only a mile away. Sitting up straight, he revs his engine and continues down the street. At a dirt road, the GPS says,
0: Turn right.
2: Jimmy obeys. Gradually, it devolves from a road to a rocky strip plunging through woods. There's barely enough room for his car along the wooded path. Branches smack his windshield and scrape the body. The ground carelessly jostles his little red car, further wrecking the alignment. But when the cheery voice says,
0: "Proceed 100 feet. Your destination will be on the right,"
2: Jimmy doesn't care about his car. He salivates at the thought of a cold beer. From the tangled woods, he emerges to sunlight and the hope sown into small towns like this across America. Pleasant Valley greets him with gold letters on green wood, as comforting a sign as he could imagine. Smoke rises from several houses. Sniffing the air, he drools. Sunday must be Pleasant Valley's barbecue day. There's one problem. He doesn't see Miller's Pub anywhere along the main street. Spotting a kid playing on the sidewalk, Jimmy pulls over. But when he puts his car in neutral, it jumps more than usual. It sputters, wheezes, and with a protesting thump, stalls out. The kid watches as Jimmy pounds the wheel and tugs on his hair.
0: Hey mister, you okay?
2: Jimmy leans out the window. No, kid... I can't say I am. Richie. The boy says, shooting one of his toy cars down the sidewalk. Is there an auto shop in town, Richie? The boy smashes two cars together.
0: Yep, a good one. It's gotta be with how many people get messed up in those woods.
2: Is it anywhere near Miller's Pub? Richie laughs. (laughs) What's so funny?
0: Miller's Pub is Miller's Garage now.
2: Jimmy shakes his head. (laughs) Figures. The boy knocks the dirt off his overalls and walks to Jimmy's window.
0: Want me to get Mr. Miller for you?
2: If you don't mind. Jimmy yawns Mm. and massages his temples.
0: No problem. I'm used to it. Hey, if you're sleepy, you can go to Mrs. Gray's house. It's a bed and breakfast, please.
2: Richie pulls open the car door and Jimmy stumbles out. He was tired before, but the streaming sunlight of Pleasant Valley... "'saps his remaining energy. "'That's... that's a good idea,' he says. "'Just a short rest.' Richie takes his hand and leads him to a pale blue colonial nestled between identical houses. "'As Jimmy ascends the stairs, his eyes stray to an open garage, "'where aspiring rock stars ready their instruments. "'The lead singer steps up to the microphone, "'but before his voice barrels out, "'he catches eyes with Jimmy Squire and winks.' Cacophonous music pounds the town with a familiar song. Jimmy can't place it, but he grins at the garage band, their long hair banging air as they beat their electric guitars. Richie knocks on the door, and a lovely woman in a pink apron answers.
1: Oh dear, you have the road written
0: all over you,
2: she says to Jimmy.
0: Please, come in.
2: Before he follows her inside, he glances down the street. Several front windows are open now, and sweet-faced women in pink aprons lean out, staring at Jimmy Squire. He starts to question it, but the young boy pulls him inside. Nearly every surface in Mrs. Gray's house is decorated with bouquets of roses. Jimmy sighs as he inhales the fragrance. Mrs. Gray notices, smiling as she leads him into the living room.
1: Oh, You picked a good day to visit. They reached full bloom today.
2: They're wonderful. American beauties, right?
0: You know your roses.
2: My grandmother did. I gleaned what I could. She plucks a rose from a vase and hands it over. You underestimate yourself, Mr. Squire. It's Jimmy. Wait. How did you know my name? She gives his chin an affectionate pinch. It makes him feel young, innocent, and hopeful, with the world at his feet. Richie takes Jimmy's car keys, then the rose. His nose buried in the petals, he bounds out the door. Mrs. Gray gestures to a cushy wingback chair, and Jimmy takes a seat.
0: I'll let you rest, she says. Please, make yourself at home.
2: As she walks away, her wiggle becomes more enticing. Since Cynthia delivered the baby news, he hasn't looked at women the same. Each has appeared as its own special kind of trap, with different deadly lures. But Mrs. Gray seems different, so intriguing that he wonders where Mr. Gray is. It's the last thought he has before he falls asleep. When he wakes, the sun still shines, and the roses have opened wider, their scent more intense,
0: Oh, good, you're awake.
2: Mrs. Gray stands over him, her lips more alluring than any rose. She still wears her pink apron, but there's nothing beneath it. Soft peach curves peek out from behind the fabric, more revealed when she bends over to kiss him. Jimmy shrinks back. Mrs. Gray, what are you doing? Caressing his face, she says,
1: I'm saying good morning, Mr. Gray.
2: He slips away, moving to the window. You're mistaken. My name is Jimmy Squire. Mrs. Gray strolls over, and her fingers dance up his arm. She nuzzles his neck, and her hand moves to his zipper. He wants her to continue. He wants to give in. He hasn't been with a woman since Cynthia. It would be so wonderful to surrender. Nevertheless, he says, Stop. Mrs. Gray promptly withdraws her hand. Back off. She moves to a nearby chair. Sitting, she folds her hands on her lap and smiles. You're not mad, he says. Mrs. Gray giggles.
1: (laughs) Of course I'm not, darling. I'm yours.
2: I don't even know your first name. She leans forward in a slither that exposes her breasts. They swing, Captivating him long enough for her to rise. Her hand slides over his chest, clawing his shoulder as her lips brush against his neck. Prickling his skin with hot breath, Mrs. Gray's voice creeps into his ear.
0: You can't leave me, Jimmy. I'm yours.
2: I'm not who you think I am. Her voice is a kiss of death when she whispers,
0: Oh, darling, you will be.
2: He pushes her away and she laughs as she falls into a chair. (laughs) To hell with this, he says. I'm getting out of here, and don't you dare follow me.
0: Of course, darling. Enjoy your walk.
2: Jimmy dashes out the door to find his car gone. Figuring it was towed to the garage, he hopes Mr. Miller isn't as baddie as Mrs. Gray. Staring down the street, he spots a man smoking a cigar on his front porch. Excuse me, Jimmy says, approaching. Could you tell me where Miller's Garage is? The man nods. It's off the main drag. Pretty tricky to find, he says, extinguishing his cigar.
3: Name's Paul Green. Come on in, I'll draw you a map.
2: He wraps his arm around Jimmy, pulling him inside. In contrast to Mrs. Gray's house, Mr. Green's home blooms with modern beauties. Flat-screen TVs and game consoles decorate every wall and corner, with digital picture frames boasting a privileged life. Just sit a spell, and I'll get that map. Jimmy slumps down and digs his cell phone out of his pocket. There isn't a single bar of reception. With a grunt, he pockets it and massages his temples.
0: Headache? Here, this will make you feel better.
2: He looks up to see a pink-aproned woman he assumes to be Mrs. Green offering him a glass of water. She steps forward, and Jimmy flinches.
0: You silly goose. What's wrong?
2: Sorry, I'm gun-shy around women today.
0: I won't hurt you,
2: she says, her thick lashes batting.
0: Go on, drink up.
2: The water is too warm to be refreshing, but the temperature drops after a few sips. Frost forms on the glass, and ice cubes bob against his mouth. He gulps, but the cup doesn't empty. The water flows differently on his tongue, heavier, the flavor intoxicating. Jimmy's mind swims in euphoria, the smell of whiskey strong on his breath. But when he looks to the glass filled with golden liquor, he's too tipsy to acknowledge the change. Mrs. Green kneels at his feet. She removes her apron buttons her top and drops her bra to the floor. Her body is even nicer than Mrs. Gray's, her twin charms begging for his hands when she arches her back. The alcohol tells Jimmy what to do, pulling him forward in the chair to slake his rising lust. As her fingers move up his thighs, hooking onto his waistband, he cups Mrs. Green's face and forces her lips to his. Her tongue sparks chaos in his body, clamping his hand to the back of her neck to drive himself deeper inside. Mr. Green turns the corner. How is everything in here? Jimmy is instantly stopped by the man's voice, but Mrs. Green continues kissing his neck, working her way down his chest. Jimmy stands, covering his excitement as he moves to the corner, pouring with apologies. No need, friend, Mr. Green says. I'm just surprised you aren't making love yet.
3: I know it's been a long time since you've seen… your wife.
2: My wife? She's your wife, he takes Mrs. Green's hand as she stands, walking her toward Jimmy.
3: Not anymore, he says. She's your wife, they're all your wives, and these systems, the games, the music, everything is yours,
2: every pleasure. Every
3: happiness is yours.
2: The TV switches on, and a flickering video plays. The quality is bad, the picture rolling every so often, but Jimmy's able to decipher the scene. It's a video of him. He's eight years old, but he holds the bat like he's older, stronger, capable of hitting the type of home run to change a young boy's life. Jimmy remembers that day, his uniform crisp, his face glazed with summer sweat. He rolled the diamond for one dig of his cleat. He remembers how he'd envisioned his success. The ball would fly, a perfect plum down the center of the plate, and he would swing, confident enough to close his eyes. When the ball and bat connected, He would open them to see the ball disappear into the sun. He would run around the bases, his hands triumphantly waving away the muscle-jostling clang of a homer. But watching the video, Jimmy knows he won't get to run. He won't see the sun swallow the ball or feel the bat ring through his bones. He'll only feel the breeze of a bad swing and the disappointment thumping from the crowd. He starts to turn away when he feels Mrs. Green's hands on his shoulders. Her breasts press against his back, and her lips graze his ear.
0: You were so amazing in that game. Everyone was so proud.
2: He shakes his head. No. I let everyone down. The pitcher winds up and the ball takes flight. Squeezing his shoulders, Mrs. Green whispers.
0: Open your eyes, Jimmy.
2: He stares at the screen, dreading the empty whoosh meant to follow. But when the ball crosses the plate, his bat greets it with a mighty whack. It sails over the outfield, so high that the players don't bother lifting their mitts. Young Jimmy stands at the home plate, as amazed as middle-aged Jimmy, staring at the video. I was supposed to miss, he says, turning to the greens. That's... That's not what happened. Mrs. Green kisses his cheek.
0: It can be. All of your mistakes can be corrected here.
3: Or perhaps you'd like to relive some real glory days, Mr. Green says. How about when you were the hometown rock star, welcoming every Sunday morning with your band's biggest hits? Listen, Jimmy. They're playing right now.
2: He again hears the beautiful din from down the street he finally recognizes the song. He hadn't thought of his teenage band in years, but as he mouths the lyrics, and his fingers pluck imaginary guitar strings, he feels no time has passed.
0: They've been waiting for you. We've all been waiting
2: for you. He stares at the greens, his brow furrowed. Who do you think I am? I'm nobody. I just cook fast food burgers. Shit, I don't even do that anymore. The room warms with Mrs. Green's smile.
0: Good. Then you should be willing to become more.
2: Like what? The front door opens. The Zofteg woman who enters removes her apron, her buxom beauty bouncing as she moves to him. Playing her fingers through his hair, she whispers,
4: Be our savior, Jimmy. Who are you? I'm yours. I've always been
2: yours the women kiss his neck together while mr green turns on an ostentatious stereo as the music swells with the band's song the ladies lower but his upper half isn't neglected a line of naked women enters the greenhouse their hungry eyes on jimmy squire the pleasure they deliver overpowers any anxiety he feels from mr green's voice tickling his ear
3: "'Forget the job,'
2: the man says.
3: "'Forget the girlfriend. Forget the baby. Stay in Pleasant Valley. Stay and you'll have everything you desire. No one will wonder where you've gone. Your mark on the world will vanish, including the burden in that conniving woman's belly. Your status quo life there will fade, and a better life here will rise.'"
2: Jimmy steps back, pushing the women away. "'What are you saying?' If I stay, Cynthia loses her baby? You don't want it anyway. But she does, he says. And just because my life is status quo doesn't mean it's bad. Mr. Green raises his eyebrows.
3: Yes, it does. You can have women, good women here, Jimmy. You can have everything money can buy and all the things it can't. You can have a better adolescence. You won't miss a single pitch. You won't disappoint a soul. On the contrary, you will save
2: dozens. He advances on Jimmy, the army of naked women on his heels. Men enter the house next, keeping their distance as they watch their women cling to Jimmy Squire.
3: Every day is the same for us,
2: Green continues.
3: Every day is Sunday and every night ends with a blaze. We're all burned to ash, tortured. As our captor watches in glee. Someone needs to fight him, but they have to be new here. It's the only way he'll buy it.
2: He grabs Jimmy's hands.
3: Please be our savior. We need you more than the world out there.
2: The last person to enter isn't a man, but a boy. Richie walks into the house, his eyes widening at the scene. Clutching a red toy car in his fist, he shakes.
0: What are you all doing in here?
2: The people of Pleasant Valley shrink back, and Jimmy zips his pants. His head tilted. Richie glowers as his stride parts the crowd.
0: Oh, I see.
2: He whispers.
0: You want me to think he's my father. No, no.
2: (laughs) Mrs. Gray whimpers.
0: We were just... Trying to trick some poor sap into fighting me.
2: Richie says.
0: I told you my father's not coming back. This is my town now to do with as I please.
2: He snarls at the crowd, and they cower.
0: I should kill you all for this.
2: Jimmy backs against the fireplace, discreetly sliding an iron from the rack. Choking up on the handle, he remembers the power he felt in wielding a baseball bat. He'd seen himself succeed that day at the plate, and he believes he can succeed now. He doesn't need women or electronics or even lies about his youth. All he needs to do is keep his eyes open. When he swings the poker, they're wide open. He feels the crack and resonating clang, but the hit doesn't knock the kid out of the park. Instead, the fire iron bends on Richie's skull like softened plastic. The kid whips around his face knotted with rage. He tears the poker out of Jimmy's hand and shakes his head as he drops it. I'm sorry, he stammers. I'm scared, okay? I I just want to get out of here. Mrs. Green scoffs.
0: Get in line. I'm sorry, Mr. Squire. I told them not to do this again, but obviously I haven't been clear enough. That's not your fault, he says. Truth is, My father left me here as a gift. Some of these people might call me a monster, but I can't help what I am or what I want.
2: I take it letting us go isn't something you want, Richie smirks.
0: Why would I? A child wants to play with his toys forever. It's the parent who boxes them up and sticks them in an attic to rot.
2: He looks back at his playthings.
0: You don't want to rot, do you? To spend decades in isolation waiting for dust mites to eat away at your hair?
2: He drags his fingers across Mrs. Gray's breasts.
0: Your skin?
2: Stopping in front of Mr. Green, he laughs. (laughs)
0: You used to be a surgeon, didn't you? How'd you like to feel that big brain of yours turn to mush? That's what'll happen if my father comes back. Not freedom. Not a new shot at a happy life. If my father returns to Pleasant Valley, you'll all die. Slow. Do you understand?
2: The people of Pleasant Valley nod. They'd done it so many times before, it happens in perfect unison. But in their surrender, they also remember their shame. The women cover their bodies with cushions and blankets, while the men shudder at how they'd been prepared to use their wives, daughters, and friends.
0: But I'm afraid you must be punished. Not in the normal way. The fire's too good for you.
2: Richie says, eyeing up the crowd.
0: Your punishment is that you must watch Mr. Squire drive away.
2: A protest arises from the people of Pleasant Valley, but Richie's burning glare commands silence. He turns to Jimmy, his eyebrows raised.
0: Your car is outside, Mr. Squire, ready for departure. I suggest you head out before these beasts tear you to pieces.
2: Jimmy bows his head as he slithers past the prisoners. He mumbles apologies, but no one accepts. Flying out the door, he dashes to his car. Jumping inside, he finds the keys dangling from the ignition. Looking back to the house, he sees desperate hands pressed against the windows. Dozens of eyes begging for freedom. The sight turns his stomach, but it also turns the key. He presses the gas, and the car rumbles rusty before zooming down the street. Ahead, he sees a happy sign. You are now leaving Pleasant Valley. His grin is so large it shuts his eyes. Jimmy Squire doesn't know what he'll do with his future, but at least he has one again. He's been liberated from the pleasant valley cage, from fiery nights and eternal Sundays. His smile fades when he tries to open his eyes. His top lashes stick to the bottom, keeping him in darkness as the car charges forward. A painful bang jerks him against the seatbelt, which slices his chest. He feels blood drip down his belly, but the odor that stings his nostrils is more troubling when Jimmy's lashes unlock he sees the broken pleasant valley sign bent over his car smoke pouring from under the crumpled hood he releases his seatbelt and opens the door tumbling into the gasoline soaked street a vicious voice sings
0: oh Mr. Squire
2: he looks up to see Richie holding a small red car in one hand and a lit match in the other.
0: I said I'd let you drive away. I didn't say I'd let you leave.
2: Jimmy pleads as he limps to the boy, but Richie just smiles, sets the car on the ground, and drops the match beside it. He scrambles away before the car explodes, spraying shrapnel across Main Street. A slab of metal catches Jimmy's thigh, sending him back to the pavement. Twisting, to pull it out. He sees his trail of gasoline catch fire. Running is futile. Something he should have known before quitting his job. The moment his body goes up in flames, so do the houses of Pleasant Valley. The neighborhood fills with screams, but none so loud as Jimmy Squires. As the fire consumes his flesh, he remembers how his mouth had watered the smell of Sunday barbecues. Smoke hangs over the houses as Sandra's truck pulls into Pleasant Valley. She scrolls through her GPS, groaning in frustration at the blank space on the screen.
1: I knew I should have updated this damn thing.
2: She gives it a slap, snapping it from the windshield mount. She pulls over and she smacks her head on the steering wheel. The horn's honk gives her a shock, as does the knock on her window. Clutching her chest, she rolls it down for a boy in dirty overalls and toy cars in hand.
1: you scared me, kid.
0: Richie. He says. Sorry about that. I just thought, well, you look a little lost.
1: Yeah, I guess I am. I thought I knew this area, but I must have gotten turned around somewhere.
0: It happens all the time. But everyone's real nice here. You can relax at the bed and breakfast while you figure out where you need to go.
2: She rolls her eyes.
0: Thanks,
1: kid, but I can find my own way.
2: Sandra's truck belches and shimmies. She screams,
1: No, no, no!
2: Turning the key, the car makes a tortured grinding noise as the engine dies, sputtering into silence.
1: What the hell? I just sunk a thousand dollars
0: into this thing. Aw, too bad.
2: Richie says, his lip pouted.
0: I guess you have time for that break now.
2: She growls as she opens her door, nearly stepping on the toy lying in the street.
0: Is this yours?
2: She says, snatching the pieces of a broken Dodge pickup.
0: Hey, it looks just like mine. What a dink! The
2: boy says. He takes the toy truck from her and slips his hand into hers.
0: Come on, I'll take you somewhere to rest while your truck gets fixed. Where are we going? To Mr. Squire's house,
2: Richie says.
0: Once you try his burgers, you'll never want to leave.
1: Oh, it's not that easy to leave the Wicked Library. There's still an interview with the author. But first, this...
2: So today my guest is Jessica McHugh, and we just listened to your story, Another Pleasant Valley Sunday. Uh, what a fun story, right? Yeah. <laughs> I'm so glad you gave that one. one to us.
4: Thank you so much for uh, having me on again and, yeah, showcasing this story. It was uh, it was the first of what I hope I'll get back to you one day, but the first of three monkeys-inspired uh, stories I've written.
1: Ah.
2: Yeah. So. <laughs> Well, you know it's uh, it, it's a it's a fun story, and everybody that was involved had a lot of fun with it. And uh, of course, you know, since since uh, the, we first started with you years and years ago, you've been on you know what we call kind of our resident author of the show, right? Um, and, and we've kind of grown from we were talking a little bit before we started the interview. You know, it's 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 gone from one guy reading uh, to now we have kind of a, a cast of, of voice actors. So it was a lot of fun it's to
1: amazing.
2: bring <laughs> so this cool. to life. Yeah, and. And everybody yeah. was excited. They're like, who doesn't love a wicked little kid? You know, so. Yeah. <laughs> especially Mary yeah. Murphy, who played Richie. Um, and she did a fantastic job. I think I sent you a sample of that.
4: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm really excited to it all stitched together
2: in in its mechanisms so I'll ask you one of the questions one of the things that we've done this season is I've kind of gone to the point of asking everybody the same questions because the answers are always different so it becomes interesting Um, you've been on the show so many times I've asked you some of these questions so I'm going to skip some (laughs) that I've asked you and we'll, we'll talk about different stuff but a good one, one of my favorites is what made this a story that you wanted to tell
4: um I yeah I uh, for years um I wanted to write stories based on monkey songs like I don't know what it was but I had I had this one in my back pocket uh for gosh before I even met my husband Oh yeah <laughs> in my like writing folder the lyrics and I would just you know I was brainstorming it for for years and just never really got around to, to writing it or something else kind of took precedence. I didn't write a lot of short stories when I was starting out, too. I started out writing novels. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, when Jamais Vu was a kind of short-lived literary magazine put out by Postmortem Press, um, but they had a, a submission call, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do my monkey. I'm going to get my monkey on. I'm going to... I started looking through... Um, all like old ideas and stuff and i saw this one and i was like it's time it's time to do it and i really just uh wanted to take there's something that's so eerie about that song i mean it's 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 so happy yet so eerie to me so i really wanted to create a world where these characters existed kind of frozen in time
2: yeah it, you know, it, I gotta say the, and, and you can tell me whether this is true or not. But when I was reading the story the first time, and, and as I was kind of editing it and putting it together, I kept having this this sensation that the the little boy in the story is related to a character from an old Twilight Zone episode. <laughs>
4: He does kind of feel like that. Uh, who's a Bill Mumy. Yeah, uh, <laughs> like character. And I, I was like, like was, I is that his dad?"
2: Um, yeah. A, maybe that's not the intent, but that's kind of because I'm a huge Twilight Zone fan. That's kind of where yeah, i was going with this. Yeah, no, it. I I like,
4: definitely. I there was a there was a review of it that that made the same connection, and I, I hadn't really thought about it, but I was like, "That's a yeah." <laughs> like, I definitely get that. So you got layers vibe. now. Yeah, and I, you know, I was kind of in a. I mean, that one has. I think it, mine is a little dirtier.
2: Oh well, yeah, absolutely.
4: A tad, just a tad. He's the next generation. A little bit more twisted.
2: Kids today, they're more twisted. That's right. right. Um absolutely. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a, it's a great story, and you know, it's maybe that's one of the things that that we can talk about uh, that I'm sure you have an opinion on is kind of the the new life that a story takes from when you write it to when people start to read it because it's it's a collaborative thing and, and I think that when other people read the story it's interesting as as the author to kind of get some of that feedback and go you know what I didn't realize that that's where this was going to go or where someone was going to yeah. take it. Do you have a yeah. favorite situation like that where you wrote something and somebody else saw something in it that you didn't intend or maybe didn't realize you were putting into it?
4: I mean there, there are certainly uh, uh, things between uh, train derails in Boston I, I get a lot where People assume I was making some kind of reference or, you know, an allusion to something else. Uh, and I'm like, no, but that would have been really cool and intelligent of me. <laughs> I mean, uh, I, I wish I could take credit for, you know, a lot of that stuff. Sometimes I'm just, you know, following the character and uh, just making the decisions I feel like the character would make and just telling the story organically. And it's really not as. I, I'm, contrived is not the right word <laughs> it's not yeah. I wish I could say that I put a lot more
1: thought Yeah. It.
4: sometimes sometimes I put I, I do like will craft a story especially with you know stuff that way but a lot of times I'm just kind of going with the flow um, there was a god there was one that was horrifying I got a rejection for a story that said it was um they got like a a child abuse like vibe from it, oh. and I was like, "What?" Yeah, <laughs> really. Like, I I read that rejection, and I was like, "That is like the most horrible rejection I have ever gotten in my life." It was it was really a. Uh, Strange to
2: me, so <laughs> it's funny, you know i mean I, I I say it in a lot of a lot of discussions I have with authors that when when someone reacts a certain way to a story, it often tells you a lot more about the reader than it does about the author,
4: yeah, i mean i i was I was just writing about like a a young alien boy mm-hmm. <laughs> and like I, yeah, I got a re- it was pretty long the rejection and uh detailed.
2: Uh, this cleverly <laughs> crafted, uh, crafted <laughs> allusion to such and such.
4: Right? Yeah, <laughs> and yeah. I was just like, i uh, okay. I'm just gonna take this one in stride. But it it hurt. Yeah, it did not make me feel good about myself. So, I mean, i I since have sold the story yeah. to a press that did not get that vibe from it. So. I hope that it it really doesn't. <laughs> other people don't feel that way, but yeah, it's a scary thing. You never know how people are going to interpret your story. Especially a lot of times, we transfer fictional uh, what those characters are doing to the author. Like right. they would approve of such things, or you especially know, in
2: speculative fiction and horror, falsehood. people are like, "Oh, yeah. these person's so disturbed. Where do they get these?" Well, look at the world, man. I'll tell you where yeah. I get my ideas.
4: <laughs> Well, it's like people read train trails in Boston and be like, you're a freak. And I'm like, ah, it's not me. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the characters a lot of times take the reins and they tell you the story that they want yeah. to tell.
4: Yeah. I mean, certainly I, I think I would, I would be completely ignorant to say that like a little piece of every character I create, you know, that that's not in me somewhere. Right. But it's not a big part of me. It's like a little, like a, little thought you had a glimmer of a moment
2: <laughs> right exactly or or maybe now, it's just you know like what would this person be like in this situation yeah, mean, yeah. that, sometimes that's fun is you know like you take you have kind of somebody in mind and you're like well what if I twisted this person slightly to this way and I put them in right. this situation how would they react and I think that's the fun of writing is like how does the character work their oh, way absolutely. through all the problems you throw at them
4: absolutely and that's why it's kind of weird when you go back Like I have, I know a couple of novels where the ending is completely different than what it was on the first or second or even third draft. So Mm -hmm. it's kind of weird thinking how it like, if they had stayed the same, if it had been the original, you know, it wouldn't have been as powerful, but, you know, making just making, having the character making just one tiny little decision differently can alter the course of the entire story.
2: Absolutely. So you started writing novels and you've written a lot of short stories. Do you know, do you, how many, how many short stories have you written these days?
4: Oh gosh. Uh- <laughs>
2: do you keep track?
4: Um, no. no I didn't no, think so.
2: <laughs> you've written a I've, lot.
4: I would, I would guess over 200 just because mm-hmm. a story a week has kind of bumped up my numbers significantly. Yeah, I, I've done it twice now, so that kind of bumps up the numbers. Um. Yeah, I would probably say if if not two hundred, then pretty close to two hundred.
2: And how many novels?
4: No, oh God, oh um, novels and novellas. I I think it's something like twenty six, and they, I have a couple. I have a half written novella hanging out here somewhere.
1: Well, there <laughs> so, you go. And,
4: yeah, and Hairs in the Hedgerow is still technically a work in progress, so not going to count that one yet. <laughs> <laughs> I miss novels. I miss writing novels. I can't wait to get back to it.
2: Yeah. It gives you a little more room to, to, to let the characters run and explore, huh?
4: Yeah, and I don't have to leave my characters as quickly. Short stories, you know, you gotta pump them out and sell them and move yeah. on to the next thing. And... Yeah, I mean it's fun, and I I do enjoy it, but I I wish I could spend more time with some of these characters.
2: Have you ever taken characters from your short stories and and thrown them into novels?
4: Sure. Your favorites, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. that's a lot of um, uh, home birth and the maiden voyage and uh, a mother effing heist novel. <laughs> <laughs> uh, those are all a shared universe.
2: Yeah, it, no. and it, I think it's a fun way to do it. I mean, you have you have these characters that you fall in love with, and and um, you like, well, I really need to see more of this person's story. So
4: yeah, there was a the first time I did a story a week, I wrote a story called um, Beyond the Island Dome, and it's uh, I I never actually finished. Uh, I think I finished typing it up, maybe, but I never edited. it But there was a character in it I really loved, and. He's in, uh, he's one of the main characters in a mother effin heist, <laughs> <laughs> uh, heist novel. And a melon farm in heist novel. And, but it, he actually inspired a lot of, um, when I was thinking about home birth, there are characters that are from the island that he lives on in that short story that nobody has read. No. So... <laughs> It all makes perfect sense in my brain.
2: Well, there you go. (laughs) So what advice do you have? Because one of the, the things that I've noticed is that most of the people that listen to these interviews are either. Well, I mean, you know, you have the general listener, but there are a lot of people that listen that are either aspiring writers or young writers, writers that are trying to. You know get themselves a routine and get into the, the, the act of writing more actively um, what advice do you have I'm sure it's a question you get all the time what advice do you <laughs> have for for writers that are starting out if you had a, to give advice to young Jessica what would you say <laughs>
4: um I I would well I tell young Jessica to be more confident and try sooner mm-hmm. um, even though like I, I got published when I was 25, like, I wrote, you know, all my life, and I never showed it really... I mean, I I wrote for class, and of course teachers saw it, but once I started writing seriously, I never showed anybody. Um, I wrote for, like, six years before trying to get published, so I would I would definitely say be confident, um, own your voice, don't be... I mean, I think it's also... it's a different time now. You have access to a lot more... Um, Experiences and voices, and people Mm -hmm. who have been there before. When I was coming up, I really didn't have that. I didn't know any writers (laughs) online, even. So I kind of was on my own and just kind of had to be proactive and Google stuff, figure out how to write a query letter, Um, you know, looked up books on publishing, looked up publishers, just kind of. If you want it, go after it. Yeah. You know, if you love writing, you know, use those little scraps of time that you can find to write, you know, to bust out some poetry or, you know, write about a character. Just if some cool lines come into your head, some rad dialogue, just write it down. I mean, I you have all the time in the world for this stuff in, in the little pockets of your day. and And why not use that time for something that you enjoy? So, yeah you know just don't don't be afraid of making yourself heard and and creating cool stuff that you're passionate about
2: right exactly really? i think that's great advice
4: yeah it's, it's supposed to be fun you know
2: exactly i mean it's hard work there's no question and there are yeah, probably yeah, t- there are probably times when you hate it but
4: hard. yeah yeah there are definitely yeah <laughs> i know but it, it's it is fun and it's it's kind of amazing just you know, I've been editing hairs in the hedgerow on the computer, and then I realized, whoops, I did it by hand a year ago. So I have this entire thing of editing I've already done, which is a pain because now I have to transfer it over. Um, but I'm going back through, and I'm like, you know what? This is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm just like, it, I, I get excited when you know, because I'm very, I'm very critical of myself. I'm mm-hmm. a lot of artists are. Yeah. So when I can read something and be like, you know what? This is, this is all right.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
4: That's what I'm doing, it's a good feeling. It's a good feeling. And you you do hit that moment every so often and it makes all the other moments were, were the while. I right. guess. <laughs> it's worth it. It is.
2: Yeah, it's nice to get to a point where you can listen to your own work or read your own work and you're like, you know what? That's not bad. I I, I think I did something there. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously, you don't want to get a big head about it. But uh, no. But at the same time, it's it's OK to, to read something and go, you know what? I, I think I, I, because it shows you've grown. Uh, it, it shows yeah, you're approaching yeah. your taste because I think that when you're writing and when you're creating you you know what you like and when we start out it's it's very clunky and it's not quite there uh and it takes a lot of time and effort and uh heartache to get to the point where you're like you know what i think i'm starting to sound like myself um, and find that that voice
4: that's the hardest thing is finding finding your voice and you know finding your style yeah
2: so, who inspires you? What writers do? What What writers inspired you when you were first starting, and what writers either continue to or have now started to inspire you further along in your career?
4: Um, I, I mean, I was hugely inspired by Stephen King. I started reading Stephen King when I was really young, so that probably kicked off my love of horror. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to watch a lot of like hard. Uh, double features on Saturdays too when I was a kid so it was just kind of in the blood yeah. um, but when I was really uh, trying to write, starting to write when I was like 19 years old at Roald Dahl, his short story collections mm-hmm. were just so they delightful mm-hmm. so delightfully macabre and twisted and like little Twilight Zone episodes and I really wanted to write those, (laughs) and then I realized (laughs) I am not nearly as clever as we're all talking. (laughs) Yeah. Dude was smart as heck, and (laughs) he was a clever guy. Yeah. Um, So, but I did, I was also reading a lot of H.P. Lovecraft, and a lot of Anne Rice, and um, Lord of the Rings. I I was reading pretty much all of these things at once. Cause I worked in a perfume kiosk and there was nothing to do. And, <laughs> and it kind of, it, it, it hit all of the little things I love about writing, you know, the kind of wordy, the beautiful wordiness of Anne Rice, kind of purple prose. Mm-hmm. And uh, same thing with kind of Lord of the Rings, the sprawling kind of prose, but it's kind of very lyrical. And they mixed with, you know, some horror and and some twisted human beings, yeah. <laughs> and that kind of that kind of built a foundation for me to explore different genres and different different styles. And so they were they were definitely big influences on me when I was starting out. Um, these days, I you know I read so many uh, small press authors these days just because it's i mean that's that's the toast and jam that's where the good stuff is yeah i mean you got good there's good stuff coming out from big people there's always going to be that but you know there are some really great small press authors right now stephanie white is always hugely inspiring whenever i want to write some poetry Mm -hmm. um i'm reading krista carmen's uh forthcoming collection from unnerving um and it's oh, it's pretty gross. It kept me up one night. <laughs> so there's, <laughs> I had some, I had some icky nightmares. Um, yeah, there's every so often I just kind of a friend of mine is releases a new collection or a new novel, and I just kind of I gotta pick it up. Yeah. Unfortunately, my. To be read list is astronomical.
2: <laughs> yeah, that's that's the way it always ends up. I mean, I find that too because you know we get a, a lot of submissions for the show, and and I read things. Yeah. Um, you know, like any editor, I mean, I can tell pretty quickly if something's. Eh, not necessarily going to be my cup of tea or the show's cup of tea, I should say. Um, Mm -hmm. Because I I mean, I do things occasionally that make me uncomfortable that I think are good for the show. And, um, you know, one of the things that I've always tried to do is expose the listeners to different types of horror that maybe they haven't heard or different types of speculative fiction that
4: that's always nice yeah, because there are so many different types.
2: Right. Right. And, uh, you know, obviously our focus, as you know, has always been the small press author. Not that we've not had, you know, a couple of big names on the show. But the the goal there is always to kind of draw in new listeners to hear the small press authors. And, uh, and yeah, and
4: the Wicked Library is a there. great way to find new authors. Yeah,
2: absolutely. So it's amazing. kind of our focus.
4: Yeah, and we appreciate
2: it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And and, and everybody listening, and, and I appreciate it too, because you know, it's one of the things that Nelson said, uh, you know, when he handed over the show to me was, it, you get to read a lot of great stories. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, so you're, you, you get a lot of these exposure to a lot of different things. And, and and that's always good. I mean, like you said, you read a lot of different types and a lot of different styles. And, and that, I think that's important. Not only, you know, just as a regular reader, but especially if you're a writer to expose yourself to more than just your genre and more than than just one style of writing. Uh, You can fall in love with a certain type of writing or a certain writer. But the more you fill the well, as Stephen King would say, the more you can get out of it. So,
4: yeah. And I just I I get bored writing the same thing. Yeah. Like, I just want to just want to mix it up.
2: Well, I mean, like, you're a great example. Not only do you write horror, but you also write uh, middle grade fiction as well, right? So. Yeah,
4: <laughs> that's kind of why I feel like Darla. I had she had so many fantasies and stuff, just because I would get bored and need to like throw a monster <laughs> at her.
2: That's fantastic. <laughs>
4: Also, I feel like it was kind of true to who I was when I was younger. You know, I was definitely, you know, take the recycling down to the curb and then run like hell from the monsters that are chasing you. Like.
2: Yeah, I know we've had that conversation before that, you know, you don't yeah. like scary movies. You don't like scary stuff, but you write it really I, well.
4: well. I, I, I'm, all, I'm actually like back on the horror train watching stuff.
2: Ah, well, then there's been a change been since first- last we spoke.
4: Yeah, so like I got I gotta thank Zoloft.
2: <laughs> hey.
4: Zoloft, yeah, Zoloft A good drug will help. From having waking nightmares, like I yeah now I can watch horror and and be pretty okay and not lose an entire night's sleep. So <laughs> I'm back. I I I watched The Ritual. I watched The Boy. <laughs> <I> watched <laughs> Enter the
2: Void. <laughs> I'm back, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> so what has that inspired lately? What have you been working on?
4: Um, I mean it was it was very good for when I was writing the The Maiden Voyage and other departures because you know that's it's alternate history, mm-hmm. but I wanted each story to be kind of multi-genre. So there's kind of a hard sci-fi, there's a body horror, there's a ghost story, there's a kind of romance. Um, so yeah, just trying to, trying to get back into all, you know, I don't know. I'm just, I, I really, it really hasn't changed me much, yeah, yeah, <laughs> except yeah. that now I'm enjoying horror movies again. <laughs> well,
2: that's fantastic.
4: <laughs> yeah. Welcome yeah, to the club. But, yeah, the Yeah. <laughs> thank you. It's good to be back. That's right. Yeah. But I, I've just been trying to, um, get a lot of, uh, stuff out and um, kind of clear my mind so I can get back and focus on Hairs in the Hedgerow.
2: Yeah. So you're doing some teaching now, is that right? Yes. What's that been like? Yes. I-
4: um, it's it's good. I, I've been doing it for a few years now. I
2: mean you're actively summer. employed, so that's probably a terrible question. It's terrible. I hate it. you never, you never yeah. that, right?
4: <laughs> yeah. It I mean it's it's after school creative writing instructor, mm-hmm. so I'm not I don't not like a real teacher, but I do get to hang out with kids and write short stories and kinda read their stuff and comment on it and we can share our stories and learn and grow and have a lot of fun, play games and whatnot.
2: I think that's uh, a real so, teacher. So
4: yeah, the summer <laughs> the summer's good because it's three hours a day for five days in a row as oh, opposed wow. to the trimester where I, it's only an hour and a half after school once a week. So okay. it, it, yeah, it's a lot more fun being able to spend an entire week on one short story, get to really focus, start with a brand new idea, have it edited and ready for submission by the end of the week. So
1: it's wow.
4: it's a lot of fun.
2: So how has that changed your writing and your approach to writing? Uh, I mean, I think that oftentimes you hear folks say whenever they have to teach other people, it, it changes their perception of whatever their craft might be. Um, it yeah. maybe hones it a little bit. Have you, have you had that experience?
4: Sure. I mean, I, I have definitely learned some some tricks just from, I mean, being around the kids. You know, it definitely makes me more empathetic, you know, and, you know, I watch I'm always been a people watcher because I like I do like to describe you know uh, body movements and you know mm-hmm. emotions and stuff on people's faces and stuff. Um, so it being around kids as opposed to my normal life where I'm just sitting in my writing hut staring at a cat <laughs> is <laughs> quite different. But also because I didn't you know I did not go to school for writing, so I don't I didn't get the formal jazz like I don't even know (laughs) most of the technical terms and stuff like that so we almost learn together and uh I I write with them I start a new when we do flash pieces or poetry I write alongside them I struggle with them so um that's why it doesn't it doesn't feel like I'm a teacher or anything because like I just get to go hang out and (laughs) write short stories with a bunch of really cool weirdos.
2: <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I mean, there, and I think that's things you could do. Exactly. No, absolutely. <laughs> and 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 I think that that's that's encouraging too for folks that want to write to know that someone who has been as prolific as you have, um, you don't have to have an MFA yeah. in writing to to mm-hmm. do that. Uh, you know, it's. I think that some people are intimidated by that because you know, the, oh, who's going to take me seriously? Because. I don't have a degree behind, or I don't have the yeah, letters after I, my I, name.
4: I I mean, I think it. I, if, if you can get a degree, I think that is amazing. And, and I think people should definitely pursue the, their education as much as it can serve them. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it's definitely weird being like the only person at a convention who's like... <laughs> It's like the last, you know, creative writing class I actually took was in high school. And I feel like such a nerd that I didn't, wasn't more of a nerd. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it can be intimidating. And, but, but writing still unites all of us, no matter what educational level we have, whether you actually use the term denouement or... Big heartbreaking smash ending, like I did. <laughs> <Right>. so <laughs> so
2: <laughs> it's only an asshole that looks down their nose at you, right? <laughs> unless your writing is terrible. I mean, if your writing's terrible, some people are probably gonna look down their nose at you, but yeah, that's time and that's effort and that's reading a lot uh, that improves yeah. that more than anything else,
4: yeah. And I mean, I, I just, I, I love writing, I love reading, I love storytelling, and yeah. Um, yeah, you don't need to, I didn't need to throw a lot of money <laughs> at school to confirm that. Right. Now, it probably could have taught me a lot more things, but yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to try to learn through experience.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you know, it's uh, one of my favorites, uh, storytellers, um, and obviously it's, fresh on my mind because of recent events but Anthony Bourdain got started kind of late in life too and uh, I mean he put himself into a position where he was just I mean everybody loved to listen to Tony tell a story you know so it's it's never too late and you you know you never give up that is true you just need the passion the desire and you know the the zest for it the love of it and and Mm -hmm. everything else will follow as long as you put the time in
4: knowing that if even if it seems like those things fade away for a bit, like if you're working, that can happen. Like, you know, you can burn out. Yeah. Um, but to figure out why you loved it in the first place, you know, sometimes it, it helps so much to just like grab a dog-eared copy of like your favorite <laughs> book you read when you were a kid and go hang out under a tree. And, yeah. <laughs> you know, get back to... Why you fell in love with words, why you fell in love with characters, and you know it's not it it's doesn't fix everything, but sometimes it helps
2: absolutely no it's it's uh it's definitely something that if you love it, that's the most important part uh, if you love yes. the story, yes. the story is always the master or the mistress, depending upon who's telling the story right mm-hmm. So what do you have coming out? What's what's going on it's that that uh, people that listen today maybe heard you for the first time? And they're like, I love that Jessica McHugh. Where can I get uh-huh. me some more of that?
4: Uh, I think uh, later this year, uh, Nightscape Press is coming out with an anthology called Ashes and Entropy, oh. which is uh, yeah, looks like it's going to be a really rad anthology. It's all the stories have illustrations by Luke Spooner who is a wonderful uh, illustrator, does a lot of really cool covers. And uh, I wrote a story for that called Amity and Bloom, which was, ooh, that's a fun one. It's a fun body horror one. And (laughs) it was was a lot of uh, fun to research. I got to do a lot of kind of old-timey New York slang. So (laughs) that was was a lot of fun. Um, So I think that comes out in December. Um, At some point this summer, I believe, uh, Carrion blue five, five, five is releasing their new, uh, 55, 55 words sh- story collections. Oh, okay. It's, I think it's, is it 55 authors? That seems like a lot. I think it is maybe <laughs> if it's
2: 55 words, that's <laughs> it's probably the, yeah, not, yeah, I it's, it's probably, the running game out. It
4: probably. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's all, you know, flash pieces, 55 words, exactly 55 of them. So, um, that's going to be coming out this summer. And what else? Well, I just, I mean, I just had two books come out.
2: You did. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Well, tell us all about it.
4: <laughs> I keep thinking about like what's in the future. And I'm like, oh yeah, because I just had a bunch of stuff happen. So I've been kind of turning off my brain for a while. See um, the, those that
2: are yeah. jonesing for, for more Jessica McQ <laughs> right now, where can they go? What can they get? And then, and then of course, you know, there's dessert coming later.
4: <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Um, So, uh, from Unnerving Press, The Maiden Voyage and Other Departures is six short stories, all in a crazy B-punk universe. It was a lot of fun. I wish I had been able to write more, so maybe that'll be in the future. Mm -hmm. We'll see. Um, And uh, my novel Nightly Owl Fatal Raven came out from Raw Dog Screaming Press, which I was so excited about. They were kind of one of my like white whale publishers I always wanted to get published by them so
2: that's awesome Uh, well congratulations
4: thank you it's a dystopian dark fantasy story a lot of blood a lot of guts a lot of bad words (laughs) all the stuff
2: our listeners love
4: yeah (laughs) it's a little it's about a vigilante taking down kind of an oligarchy so very nice
2: (laughs) rush out and get it today
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And uh, I, I know the answer to. Th- I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask for the people listening. Obviously, where can fans interact with you? Where are you active? Where uh, Where can they get I- a piece of your mind? Uh oh. <laughs> Which could mean so many things. Isn't that fun? That's right.
4: Um, <laughs> yeah. You can find me on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash author dot Jessica McHugh, or I'm on Instagram and Twitter as the Jess McHugh. I'm trying to get a lot more active on Instagram with the live feeds and stories and stuff. So, uh, yeah, hopefully you'll see some good stuff there. And also I have a Patreon page And that's uh, Patreon.com/slash/TheJessMcHugh. I'm doing. um, I post little things from my story weeks, which I (laughs) yeah, I haven't uh, even finished posting all of them from last year. So um, I'm doing those for a dollar a month. I also, if you just want me to piss off my neighbors by singing singing really (laughs) loud every month.
2: Oh, you're still doing that.
4: It's awesome. <laughs> five dollars, five dollars a month, and I will sing whatever loud song you want right up against the wall.
2: That's awesome. <laughs> Everybody should sign up today. Your neighbors are gonna love you. Yeah. <laughs> Tremendous. Well, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk. It's always it's always fun uh, to catch up. We, we have to do it at least once a season absolutely
4: Uh, thank you so much for having me again i think it actually cleared my sinuses
2: well there you go (laughs) i'll take credit for that sure yeah well thanks again
4: i'm very happy to come on board (laughs) absolutely
2: and we're happy to have you always thank you for listening to today's episode of the wicked library the Wicked Library is a Ninth Story Studios production, ninthstory.com. If you enjoy the show, please consider supporting us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash wicked library. You can be a part of helping us keep the shows coming for as little as $2 a month. All supporters get wicked fun rewards like bookmarks, access to our archives, bonus stories, and more. The more generous you are, the more wicked the rewards are. The Wicked Library is proud to have Booth Junkie as one of our season 8 partners. Booth Junkie is a YouTube channel dedicated to the tech of at-home professional voiceover created by the very talented Mike Delgadio. If you've ever been interested in getting into voiceover, seeing what goes into voice work, or just can't get enough of Mike's voice, it's a great channel to watch. You can find the channel by going to boothjunkie.com. The most recent episode features a shootout with one of the old microphones that we used to use on this show. Complete credits and full show notes, including links and information from today's episode, can be found on wickedlibrary.com You can also find links to our Twitter, Facebook, and iTunes page. Until next time, go ahead, leave the lights on. That's the way Richie likes it. Anybody here remember seeing Richie? I'm going to keep coming back till someone remembers seeing Richie.